There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Caravan Podcast, a show about Pakistan's startup ecosystem where we have intimate conversations with founders and investors driven to catapult Pakistan into the digital age. We'll discuss what it's really like to start a business, the highs and the lows, the setbacks, the comebacks, the lessons, everything. I'm your host, as always, Ahmad Mia, partner at Caravan, a community-driven venture capital platform. Now, given the nascent ecosystem, there's a massive spread between the talent in the country and the resources that are available to support them. Our mission at Caravan is to close that gap by providing both capital and expertise at the earliest of stages. You can find more information about Caravan at www.caravan.vc. In this episode of Caravan Podcast, we get to sit down with Raza Mateen, the co-founder of Brandverse, a company on a mission to facilitate online commerce. So let's get straight to Raza. To start off, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about yourself, how Raza got to be Raza, how um, the time at Google, now at Brandverse, how do you get to today? What's what's that journey? Well, Amon, thanks for having me uh, here on your show. Um, where do I start about myself? Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting journey. I grew up in the Middle East, spent the first 18 odd years of my life out there, mm-hmm. um, moved to Canada when I think I was around 17 or 18, finished high school there and went to university, studied economics, always had a strong technology aptitude, but um, for whatever reason, at the last minute, I decided to go to economics instead of technology, um, which I actually hate as a subject now, <laughs> by the way, so, you know, uh, trying to explain away everything. Um, but, you know, um, Sometime after uh, sort of uh, completing university, came to Pakistan, lived here for the first time. This is probably early uh, 2006 or so. Um, Started sort of getting into corporate life in Pakistan, got into the enterprise technology space. Um, Did a lot of work with a lot of blue chip companies uh, around process automation, sold Pakistan's first Siebel implementation, um, things like that but got very distraught with the way things are done in Pakistan. It was sort of, uh, it, it, it didn't really gel well uh, with the way I thought the world would work. So I went back to Canada, decided <laughs> to get into project management. That felt, uh, that felt like an interesting challenge um, and something that, you know, it felt substantial. So got into retail project management, did uh, technology project management. And then as life would have it, I found a way back to Pakistan uh, late 2012. Uh, or so. And at that point in time, got back into enterprise technology. But in 2015, um, you know, Google reached out and, you know, there was a ask to get someone who could sell, I think, uh, speak uh, well, who was articulate, um, and to really help Google grow their business in Pakistan, which, which at that point in time was very, very nascent. Um, and I guess more than anything, it was the gift of gab. Uh, which uh, got me that initial break. And, you know, five years with Google doing everything from business development to market development, um, public relations, government relations, 
um, looking after sort of in-country marketing efforts, et cetera. What, it was an interesting journey. Uh, but somewhere along the lines on that journey, you know, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial bug sort of hit me and I wanted to get my hands dirty again. And, so, you know, we ended up just sort of getting back into the uh, fi- founding sort of Brandverse a couple of years ago and sort of did that on the side, stealth mode, side hustle sort of thing. Um, had this idea and I felt that it needed to be executed. It needed to be serviced. So um, at the same time, you know, I felt that there were just so many other things going and I didn't feel like the market was quite ready yet. Um, so decided to do a slow burn approach and sort of split my time between Google and Brandverse for the better part of three years. But it just so happens earlier earlier this year, I finally was able to be in okay. a position where I can say that Brandverse can finally absorb all of my time um, and sort of craziness. And that's, and, you know, I was finally able to say goodbye to Google after five and a half years. Awesome. It was a crazy set of years. Um, I'd love to kind of... Lots changed in those five and a half years. <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit about, I mean, could you, could you frame Brandverse for people who, who, don't, or who are not familiar with what it is? Sure. Brandverse is a extremely, um, I call it, I call it a boring business. Um, and you know, you know, Warren Buffett says boring businesses are good. Yeah. So, um, we Brandverse, if at first sight is a company that helps organizations go online, but we don't make websites. We're not a marketing agency. Um, what we do is one singular thing and we do it really, really well. What we do is we create high quality e-commerce product content that enables businesses to sell well online. That is all that we do, supposedly. Um, and you know, to that end today, we cater to some of the largest high street brands in Pakistan, the biggest retailers, et cetera. And we power their efforts to bring all of their products online, whether it is a Kadi, whether, whether it is Al-Karam, whether it is, you know, a Jaffa G's leather goods business, or for that matter, um, Carrefour, who's trying to sell you a can of soup or a bottle of ketchup. Whatever it is, we, what we've done is we've removed a lot of the friction and costs associated with um, creating high quality e-commerce content and we render it with a great deal of speed because we've invested very highly or invested quite heavily in automation. Um, so in Karachi, where our head office is and our primary facility is, we have a state-of-the-art facility through which we um, are able to take any physical product, whether it's a fashion or mm-hmm. a FMCG commodity or anything else, and we're able to create its perfect digital representation so that it can be sold with a great deal of confidence uh, online. Uh, That's what Brandverse, as far as most people are concerned, does today. Another part, one of our other sort of business lines is um, because we aggregate and create so much content um, within certain verticals like FMCG, et cetera, because of the number of clients we have, what we're able to do is reduce the cost of acquiring a very large catalog for a lot of major retailers. So if it's Carrefour, Metro, Spar, Food Panda, Kareem, 
um, Bikea, Airlift, all of those organizations that are today offering FMCG or grocery services, et cetera, they're using the Brandverse catalog. Um, because what we offer is a one-stop shop for everything to do with product content. Um, so in that sense, we're actually one of those very rare companies in Pakistan that is actually a data company because we actually sell. In fact, we don't even sell it. We license it. We license data on a subscription basis to a lot of these platforms. The reason why it's much more efficient to do it uh, or, or to acquire this catalog through us is it would be otherwise very difficult and very infrastructure and OPEX heavy to try and acquire this data yourself as a Kareem or a Food Panda or Airlift. We basically have, initially we offer a BPO model, a byproduct of the BPO model is all of this data, which we then offer as a catalog, as a service, if you think about it that way. Um, That's, you know, two parts of the business so far. The third is what we're now launching, which is, um, sort of the reason why we actually started this company, which is to enable businesses of all sizes to finally be able to uh, make the most of the digital opportunity. Um, And because we fundamentally believe that uh, the digital opportunity should be afforded to all and not just the select few who can afford to take the risk or make the upfront investments required to leverage it. What do I mean by this? So, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to democratize e-commerce at the merchant level. So every consumer, as long as they're connected, they can, they can transact potentially online, but can every merchant do it? Can every merchant with a smartphone bring his or her business online? Uh, The answer today is no, because today, you know, whether it is a capacity uh, issue where you may or not have may or may not have the technical ability to create a website, maintain a website, uh, or maintain a storefront, or if it's an investment issue where you're unsure whether you can invest ten thousand, five thousand, three thousand rupees, or whatever it takes to get an online store running. There are plenty of reasons why their businesses remain offline today in Pakistan. What we want to do is, with our app Chiku uh, is we want to create the fastest way of getting any business selling anything online. Um, our goal uh, is from within four minutes of downloading our app, a business that up to that point had zero online presence should be online, transaction ready, uh, and be discoverable um, across you know surfaces like Facebook, Google, et cetera, and whatnot. And that's what our, uh, that's what, our third business line or service line is. So, you know, we find ourselves, we we, we don't really think of ourselves as a content company or a app business, et cetera. If if there's one business we categorize ourselves in, it's enablement, Uh, whether it's for enterprise, whether it's for SME, um, either way, we're just enabling businesses to make the most of that opportunity. That's fascinating because... The journey that you've mapped out is 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 the perfect trajectory for what you're doing. The last idea that you kind of brought out, which is, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it's very much like what Shopify is doing as well, right? Like it's enabling the merchants who want to kind of come online and be able to transact. I think that the the, the comparison with Shopify is inevitable, um, 
but we're very different from Shopify in one way. Mm-hmm. Shopify assumes a certain level of technical aptitude. Uh, that technical aptitude is beyond the reach of most merchants in Pakistan or emerging markets yeah. today. You know, you can very easily go on to Shopify and you can, you know, sign up for a demo account, maybe enter your credit card information, create a theme, fantastic. You know, you can add your first product. But if you're a merchant that's sitting there on a mobile phone trying to bring his business online, how do you add the 500, 600, or 1,000 different products that you have sitting on your shelves? Uh, How do you bring that online? How do you do that in while doing it on a mobile phone? That is, to me, a impossible ask, and that's where the Shopify value proposition sort of falls short. Um, what well, go ahead? Um, sorry, I, I like the idea of going mobile first, for instance, because that is definitely Pakistan specific. It's very localized to Pakistan, right? Um, my question here would be: Let's say, for instance, your merchant in this aspect is a small Kirana store who can now yeah. go online. For them. Do you help them with customer acquisition as well? How does Chiku, if I'm not mistaken, is, is the name, how does that fit yeah. in from just enablement and then transaction-wise, who, how do you figure out the, um, the transactor? Like, are you using uh, SafePay? Are you using Alfala? Are you, are you keeping the money and then you're, you're, you're sending out payments? Because though each element over here is, is a startup idea, right? That you, you're going to be let, taking. Let, let, let me tell you how we see Chiku. We see Chiku as a super app, but we don't see it as a super app for consumers. We see it as a super app for merchants. Mm -hmm. So what we really want to do within the context of Chiku is function as a way of enabling. The primary function is to enable the current merchant or retailer to be able to service their existing customers in a low friction manner, right? Through digital channels. That's sort of goal number one. So give them a website, give your customers the ability to, you know, order ahead or to sort of uh, have things delivered to be able to transact and interact with you uh, through a digital channel, because that's where the consumer behavior and demand is headed towards. And we want to enable every merchant to be able to service their customers digitally. That's step one. Step two is then you start talking about growth. How do you find you're servicing the existing customers? How do you bring new customers into the fold? So there are a couple of things we do. Number one, an offline business today is not really discoverable. If you don't exist on Google to the digital consumer, you don't exist, right? If you don't exist on Facebook, equivalently, you could argue that you don't exist. So what we want to do is we are we, we want to tie into those integrations and drive discoverability. Now, that's still organic, right? The idea is by just signing up on Chiku, you've been able to push your presence uh, onto these sort of large tech giant platforms. And now you become at least visible, so you're discoverable. You take advantage of things like Google shopping ads, which are currently free, yeah. et cetera, and whatnot. You push your inventory, and hopefully that results in some sort of incremental organic traffic um, to your uh, storefront. If nothing else, people start finding you walking into your store. You start seeing value and benefit. To you. Step three is uh, bringing growth from other aggregators or platforms. Now, you would, in any sort of um, business like a, uh, or a marketplace, one of the most difficult things to do is uh, onboarding uh, on the merchant side. 
right? It's not just about getting them to fill out their account information. It's about getting them to accurately push all the information or all, all of the information about their products into a format that the marketplace can then push towards its consumers, right? Whether it's Kareem, whether it's Food Panda, whether it's Bikea or anyone else. Chiku looks to basically become effectively that hub through which you can broadcast or push this information into those different aggregators as well. If you are happy paying the commission that Kareem or Food Panda or Bikea, et cetera, will charge to bring customers, you can, at the tap of a button, integrate with those platforms. And you uh, effectively become a node in their particular network, right? And the day you decide not to and decide to pursue independent sales, you can easily disconnect yourself from that network as well. What we also do is, because we've also given you an independent channel through the web, we also allow you to basically cater to your existing customers through digital channels without actually having to send them to Food Panda or Kareem or anyone else, yeah. because that's where you end up cannibalizing your own sales and margins, yeah. right? So it's sort of a balance there, right? Then it sort of becomes, okay, what do you do now, right? Uh, how else do you grow this business? The idea there is we want to see ourselves as growth partners for small business. So growth part, in order to grow your business, you're going to have to make investments. So what we really want to do is demystify growth to a certain degree right? Which is we want to bring a level of marketing automation that helps small business owners achieve some sort of positive ROI. Will it be ever as great as if you had a dedicated resource doing it? No. But through the powers of AI and through the powers of powers of third-party services, you should be able to provide them a positive ROI uh, equation where if they invest a thousand rupees in digital marketing, they should be able to see some positive return from that in terms of order value, et cetera. And that's how we want to enable them to grow. We're not there selling you a pipe dream um, that we're going to turn you into a billion dollar business overnight or a 10, uh, we're going to grow your 10x business 10x overnight. What we're saying is we're enabling you to grow your business through digital channels. At the end of the day, what you get out of it is what you put in. Yeah. So if you service it with attention, if you, if, if you sort of uh, uh, get, uh, if you invest the right amount of effort uh, and time in the app, in the sort of in your channels, um, then what you will find is you'll get a positive ROI. Um, so far, you know, we're just in pilot stages with a lot of our uh, merchants. The, the sort of feedback has been fantastic, right? Because their initial, their, their concern has always been, you know, it's not that they don't believe in the value proposition of selling online. It's that they're afraid that they may undertake a large investment and that it may go down to zero. So a large part of our value proposition is we don't actually charge for creating that presence. We charge per transaction, yeah. right? Um, and it's a very small disposable fee, right? currently about 10 rupees a transaction. Uh, we don't actually, we're not looking to uh, we're looking to be additive. We're not trying to be parasitic in our relationship with the merchant, Got it. Um, which, which is probably what you could accuse a lot of other uh, sort of merchant-focused solutions uh, today of being. If we step back for a minute and go back to your journey um, mm. and the beginnings of Brandverse, how, if you could describe me how you, describe to me how you got your first thousand customers. 
Um, so Brandverse today still remains a B2B business. I don't think we've hit a thousand customers yet, uh, but we will uh, before December uh, with the app. Uh, the app is still in its very nascent stage. On the B2B side, um, where we're doing content creation, et cetera, it's been entirely organic. Um, and it's been based on the fact that I sort of, I spent a lot of time working with this industry before I started with Brandverse in my capacity at Google. And I looked at the challenges that this industry was going through at its formative, uh, in its formative years. I mean, we talk about five, six years ago, uh, was working with Daraz, was working with Yevo. Uh, and I sort of saw all of, the, all of these businesses progress. And I also saw where they really, really struggled. And what, what became very clear to me during those early years that a lot of time was spent on what I felt was non-value sort of additive activities, right? Things like literally, you know, I, I remember being exasperated at the fact that uh, there were these five websites at that point in time. I think there was home shopping. There was a, there was Daraz, there was Yevo and a bunch of others. And they were all selling the same um, bottle of shampoo or for that matter, the, uh, a can of bug spray, but they were all spending money, time and effort photographing a product. Yeah. It's just duplicating right? work. And to and me, not even your to me, that was, that was madness because, you know, at retail, you don't see the shopkeepers, labeling products and putting it on the shelf. And it's not a competitive advantage either, right? Because no one's going to buy your product because it's packaged better because it's a standardized package product, right? So, you know, to me, that's when I sort of realized that, you know, there's a lot of stuff. E-commerce was almost thrust upon Pakistan, but a lot of the underlying infrastructure that needs to drive e-commerce that readiness did not exist. It still doesn't. Um, like to a certain extent, I'd still argue like it's still very nascent. No, no, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, um, I don't think e-commerce experiences on average in Pakistan are positive. And it has a lot to do with just the fact that infrastructure is not as ready uh, or people haven't yet developed um, sort of robustness on, uh, in sort of the internal processes, et cetera, one of which leads to a... Um, very faulty outcome. Anyway, so, I mean, you know, I looking at these sort of, and, you know, the, the idea of photography is just one element, right? That there, every every e-commerce startup at that point in time had their own photograph photography studio. Uh, they had photographers on their payroll. They were only getting like, uh, uh, and the photographers were miserable as well because who goes to art school only to want to photograph cans of soup or something like that, right? So, you know, it got me really thinking that there's so much time that's spent on these sort of non-value additive activities. There's got to be, I mean, it just feels like a classic BPO opportunity, right? Uh, not everyone needs to run their own call center. That's why companies like TRG exist. So you can outsource it because it's, it's something that can be standardized. It can be something that's easily outsourced. So I started really thinking about the role of content within e-commerce and the fact that it directly affects the quality of the transaction. It affects how, uh, how much confidence there is in that transaction as well from the consumer side. And the fact that poor quality content uh, is actually a deterrent to transaction success yeah. or conversion success, right? And great quality content can be a great booster to it. And the fact that 
you know, at that point in time, and even today, most content in Pakistan is a photograph and a one-line description of the product uh, tells you that there's a long way to go in our <laughs> understanding of the role uh, that content plays in conversion. Um, and, you know, in parallel at Google, I'm every day going to brands, et cetera, and whatnot. I'm trying to talk to them about landing page experience. I'm trying to talk to them about how to drive conversions and why their e-commerce sales aren't materializing. And um, eventually you realize that you can't, it, it's an unfair ask of the brands to uh, sort of solve for this because they themselves have no idea what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're just global guidelines or what the other guy is doing and you're trying to copy it. Yeah. So in the absence of any thought leadership in this space, I was like, you know, this just seems like a golden opportunity to come in and sort of sort this out. And I never considered content as a business. So I looked around and tried to figure out, man, there's got to be a global precedent for something like this. And turns out there is, um, there are, I mean, I guess there are a couple of companies in the US that aggregate this content, companies like Quickie, companies like GFK Analyze. And in the UK and in some parts of Asia, there's Nielsen, which does this, but they only do it for a subset of brands that pay them. I had to, you know, my thinking was that if I waited on the brands to figure this out, we would be forever waiting because for any sort of major brand, e-commerce will and continues to be a very small percentage yeah. of their sales. And it's going to take a lot of time. So, yeah. And, 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 and you, know, they, they, you know, they're very hesitant to invest in anything here because it's all very foreign. So, you know, keeping that in mind, um, you know, I said we needed to do this in a way where we made it more of a merchant focused solution and sort of approach the brand side later. Um, you know, because frankly speaking, I know the need is immediate and that's where the pain is. It's on the merchant side yeah. and it's not so much on the brand side. I mean, the brand is just, you know, they're, they're just happy that they're getting any sales at all online. hundred percent. I so, think it, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's incredible to see the inside and then how you, executed on that insight and and also i mean now I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to kind of jump into how do you justify taking the risk with a business like the two initial ones that you spoke about which are i would assume cash cows um going into something that's more of a hockey stick model that you would want to kind of you're creating a product cheek was a product so it's interesting you say that Ahmad, because what that question suggests is that we weren't planning on doing this all along. But the reality, but the, but the reality is day one, and if you look at my business plan three years ago, um, when I kicked off, this is exactly what we said we would do. So we said we would take, we would get, build a business and within that business, incubate another business um, and launch that business through it. We, what we realized is we could not build a e-commerce solution in Pakistan that could scale across potentially all verticals um, and be super easy to use for merchants without having that content available. We realized we needed to create that database of content. We also realized that if I, I don't have the money that Google does, so I can't go on a Google Maps-like journey where I start just digitizing everything and worry about monetizing it eight, nine years later. So what we did was we created a business around creating the content. And in doing so, we got the required data set that we needed as a byproduct um, to power Chiku. So it, in that sense, it's a bit of a, it's a long con 
right? It's, so, you know, I, I love that because in Pakistan, from what you see, you have a lot of agencies, right? Like we're amazing at service businesses. But what you yes. just showed me is like having that roadmap is that you had thought that you're going to be a product company before the agency had landed. And all you were doing was to execute in a way which would solve for that product in a later stage. Absolutely. We, so we were very clear that the content creation and generation business is a means to an end. And it always has been for us. Now, to the point where the reason the company is called Brandverse is because we knew we needed to speak to brand managers and we needed to speak to retailers and the word brand would resonate well with them. So we said, let's just call the entire company Brandverse. Um, you know, that was always a part of the plan and continues to be the plan. The great thing is that the content business itself generates money. It generates cash flow. Um, and we are basically break even on it, but that's because we keep scaling and uh, keep investing ahead of the curve. And now we're at the point where we understand that what we've developed on the content creation side itself is a business that stands on its own two feet independently. So whilst we sort of invested in, the idea was to invest in one business, the output is actually, hopefully will be two independent businesses. Uh, that have a set of reliance, well, one business which has a set of reliance on the, on the other, but uh, it is really the case of two different businesses uh, as a result of so, sort of one one venture. Have you guys um, raised funding at all so far? And how's that journey been? So we've raised money. Uh, we raised money about two and a half years ago or so. Um, and we're just in the stage where we're looking to raise our next round. Um as we enter sort of this app part of our journey. Um, the experience of raising money three years ago is a, was a lot tougher than it is today, obviously. Uh, things have only gotten easier with more money and more funds now looking at Pakistan. The challenge with this business is there's no direct comparable. Um, it's not like you can say, hey, we're just the Uber of... Uh, uh, you know, Pakistan, or for that matter, the Airbnb of Pakistan or anything along those lines. Uh, there is nothing that's instantly referenceable that's a comparable business to what we do. Um, and frankly speaking, it's, you sort of have to wrap, if, if I had to really boil down the business, we take photos of products and we write descriptions and we store them in a database. It's, it's, it's very, very boring. And, you know, uh, it's, it, you know, I, I liken it to, um, you know, selling tar that's used in roads, right? It's, it, it's one of those boring businesses that is infinitely scalable because we always need roads, right? But who's really thinking of getting into the tar business? So we're the equivalent of the tar industry for e-commerce, right? I mean, we're literally trying to pave those roads with information and photographs. So it's a difficult sell, right? I mean, um, we, uh, it's a difficult sell anywhere. It's a tremendously difficult sell in Pakistan, right? You, because you're talking about, you mean you're going to actually, I mean, you can imagine the skepticism on someone's face when you say that we're going to actually take photos and we're going to license them to retailers in Pakistan uh, and they're going to pay us every month for the right to use those photos. You know, you can feel, you know, when you say that to someone in Pakistan, even today, they're like, what, you actually do something like this in Pakistan? As like, yes, we do. Um, 
I don't think there is actually another company in Pakistan that does remotely close to what we do in terms of licensing data or subscriptions, et cetera, whatnot. We're building, I mean, there are a lot of SaaS businesses in Pakistan mm-hmm. um, that cater to companies outside of Pakistan. I'm not sure how many SaaS businesses there are that cater to businesses within Pakistan. And um, there, you know, that skepticism um, made it very difficult to sort of raise money with a straight face in Pakistan. Um, and I think that's why we ended up doing a private equity deal uh, out of the Middle East um, sort of early on. And now we're now, I think we're at a stage now where, you know, we can actually look at venture capital funding because the dynamics of the business are such that they can be comprehended by pretty much everyone. And now they really understand the potential of it. But back then it just sounded too good to be true. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that entire, the raise was predicated on, it was solely on the basis of personal credibility, I guess. Right. Like, I think that's what it comes down to at that stage, because we raised, you know, our initial round on the basis of a deck really didn't have anything else. Um, And it's just, it was just, you know, ambitious. Luckily we found some people who were not afraid of ambitious bets. (laughs) Two last questions for you. Um, One, I'd love to hear, I mean, in the business that you're in and how Pakistan because of the lockdowns, I mean, worldwide, because of the lockdowns, how COVID has kind of, you know, affected businesses coming online. Pakistan is no different. I mean, that kind of serves to your purpose with more businesses going online. You're more in demand than ever, I would assume. Um, So how has it affected your business day to day? And uh, the last question would be, if you could describe three of the most important lessons that you've learned in your journey so far. Sure. Uh... How's COVID affected retail in Pakistan? It's been great for business um, in the sense that, you know, in, there's an increasing understanding among, amongst the uh, retail industry that e-commerce is no longer that uh, orphan child within your distribution network. It's actually now imperative that's in t- entirely tied into the survival of your company. Um, I think uh, immediately after the lockdown, a lot, I don't think the actual, I don't think we've seen actually the high tide in terms of demand for e-commerce solutions or enablement right now, by the way, because what happened was a lot of businesses went under during COVID, unfortunately. The businesses that survived immediately did not look to e-commerce. What they ended up doing is they sort of bookmarked in the back of their head that we need to develop this capacity and capability. Instantly, what they did was enable WhatsApp so that they could start catering to orders on WhatsApp, et cetera. And that's where a lot of people are stuck at. You know, their their, uh, businesses currently or their contingency plan for a second wave or a second lockdown is WhatsApp. Um, They understand that there's a need to uh, sort of diversify uh, their channels, et cetera, but they haven't quite figured it out because immediately after the first lockdown, most of these businesses went into survival mode, uh, which was, you know, just get over the humps, just make sure you meet payroll, yeah. just meet your obligations, et cetera, and whatnot. Um, not a great time for you to go in and say, hey, let me sell you the solution. Um, that'll help you, right? A lot of these guys were literally fighting for survival. Then we were t- uh, sort of um, hit by 
what we would consider a wave of apathy, which is, you know, it's like, okay, so COVID came and COVID left. And, you know, Pakistan is one of the few countries that has actually fared well, relatively well in terms of the COVID response. Um, and then, you know, as retail markets opened up again, et cetera, people started uh, thinking, you know, things are going to go back to normal. People are going to start coming back to malls, et cetera, and whatnot. And then, you know, you felt that there was, you know, this sort of sense of return to the previous normalcy approaching. But now I think with what appears to be a second wave happening and potentially incremental lockdowns coming or, or additional lockdowns happening, I think it is at that point in time, we will see true behavioral change on the sides of the merchants because they will now finally realize this is not a nice to have, right? This is actually the survival of the business, which unfortunately for better or worse, it is for most SMEs. Um, if they're unable to uh, establish and deliver or, and engage with their customers through digital channels, they will eventually lose all of those customers to merchants that can, because that's what the, that's what the customer is demanding. So, um, yeah. So I think we, the best, at least for us is yet to come, uh, in my opinion. Great place right? to be at. Um, last question. <laughs> Three lessons that you've learned the most. Uh, three lessons that you've learned across your journey so far. Sure. Um, first lesson uh, is your first three hires are the most important thing you will do in your business. They will have an outsized impact on your culture and on your team, your performance, the aggression of this company what it can do and what it won't be able to do. Um, choose those people very, very wisely. I spent a year recruiting my first three uh, sort of uh, team members. Like, I mean, before I even incorporated the company, I started socializing the idea. Two of them I had never met before. Someone just told me that if you're thinking about doing something like this, you should go meet so-and-so. Um, so choose those three first people very, very wisely, um, spend an outsized amount of time with them to develop culture. And that's sort of part two, the thing that drives success in my opinion is not necessarily the greatness of the idea. It's actually the execution and execution and the ability to deliver beyond what is considered normal or average or et cetera is inherently tied into the culture of the organization. And I believe the first two, three people that you hire have an outsized impact on culture. And if there's one contribution that I have as CEO, or if there's another hat that I wear with a great deal of pride, it's chief culture officer, right? It's, I fundamentally believe it is my responsibility to drive the culture in this organization, whether it is of accountability, whether it is equality or anything else, I have to embody that uh, in the way I work, in the way I lead and in the way my team leads. And you should really think it's not, culture is not something which is just a paragraph that you stick inside your business plan when you talk about your philosophy or whatnot. It really needs to be something you live and breathe and if you can instill that in your first few hires and you can truly get them to buy in, then it's incredible 
um, what the impacts of that is because they carry on that culture. Mm-hmm. They, they become ambassadors and they enforce that culture as well. And that's when, you know, you built truly something special. Um, I don't have to, you know, if, if there's one success in Brandverse, which I'll constantly cite, is I don't have to ask anyone to do anything, right? They do it because they feel that that's what's required. Uh, they do it without asking. There's no questions. Uh, and it's not because they're miserable or they have a gun at their head or anything along those lines. It's truly because that's a part of the culture because they understand that conversely, we would do whatever is required to support them. And they have, and you know, they will do whatever is required to support the business. So there's a great deal of ownership of everything that we do. So that's sort of the second lesson. The third lesson is um, a little more nuanced. It's that um, think, you know, for whatever reason, it appears that in Pakistan, we think small. I'm, I, I, I don't know whether it's a culture of a lot of naysaying and skepticism about a lot of what we do, but we have this thing where we, we tend to think small. Um, my lesson is, you know, the most important lesson I have, and this is probably the thing that I've learned from Google more than anything else, is you can afford to think big. And thinking big doesn't mean that you need to be in the valley or, you know, in a high ARPU market or anything along those lines. Um, you can be anywhere and you can think big. And great ideas or insights translate well in all markets. Um, and thinking big is something that people rally around um, if you articulate it well. And, you know, everyone should learn how to exercise that thinking big muscle. I mean, Bradverse is a great example of a big idea that sounds completely implausible in the context of Pakistan, um, in the context of many countries. But it exists today because, you know, I thought it was a big idea. It scared the hell out of me when I started executing it. But it made sense to people other than me. And... You know, sometimes, you know, things are as good as they seem. So you have to execute. So don't be afraid of the bigness of an idea, I guess. Um, Or the fact that it hasn't been done before. I think that's one of the other things. Um, Sometimes bigness is just confused with the fact that it hasn't been done before. So uh, all the more reason to do it. Thank you so much for listening. If you guys have any comments, your feedback, please do send them my way. My direct email address is amad at caravan.vc. Or information on our website, which is www.caravan.vc or on Instagram. Um, our handle is at caravan.vc. Until next time, khudafiz. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 